0: Scripture speaks of a renewed and even a new creation, where Jesus Christ is going to reign as King for all eternity. And Psalm 72 is a picture for us of His kingdom. This is what it's going to be like when Jesus Christ returns to reign.
1: Welcome to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths. I'm Steve Hiller. Glad you're with us as we continue our look at the book of Psalms today. We come to Psalm 72, and uh, Jonathan, I've I've often heard uh, different pastors, many say over the years that one of the uh, helpful things that we can do as we look at God's Word is no matter where we are, be the path to Jesus. And so even all the way back here in the book of Psalms, looks like the psalmist is helping us do just that.
0: Well, one of the great themes of the book of Psalms is kingship in Israel, the role of the Lord's king and the glory even of the Lord's king. And this is a psalm very much focusing on the king and his kingdom. And in that sense, as we roll forward in the scriptures and see the outworking of the promises of God and the patterns of the Old Testament, we see so clearly that the office of kingship in Israel is pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is God's Messiah, his appointed king. And so in these psalms which focus on kingship, and this psalm in particular, which does so in a beautiful way, we see a pointer to Christ, which gives us a joyful hope as we consider living under his rule and his reign in his eternal kingdom.
1: Well, grab a Bible Join us, if you would, in the book of Psalms, Psalm 72, as we begin our message, The King's Dominion. Here is Jonathan.
0: In the winter of 1866 to 1867, the Fathers of Confederation met in London, in England, to frame the British North America Act, which would lead to the establishment of the Dominion of Canada. At this London conference, one of the matters to address was the question of what to call this new federation of colonies, what would be its name. Each morning of the conference, Sir Samuel Leonard Tilley, the premier of New Brunswick, would begin the day reportedly with a time in the scriptures and prayer. One particular morning, he found himself in Psalm 72 and he was struck by the words of verse 8, which in his King James Version Bible said this, he shall have dominion from sea to sea and from the river unto the ends of the earth. Tilly came down from his quiet time that morning with the conviction that Canada should be a nation constituted under God and with the name, the Dominion of Canada. The others agreed, and by that summer, the Dominion of Canada was born. A nation constituted as a nation under God. The motto of Canada, even still today, Amore usque ad from sea to sea, quotes directly from Psalm 72 and verse 8. And it reminds us of the intent and the spirit In which our nation was formed. This weekend, we've been celebrating Canada's 150th birthday. And as we give thanks to God for our country and his goodness to us as a nation, we believers look back to the founding spirit of God fearing people like Tilly, and we see in many ways how far we have traveled from that founding vision. Now, there's, there's so much that's so good in our nation, so much kindness, and so much generosity that we see all around us. But we can hardly say that we as a nation honor and revere God, obey His word, and recognize the country to be His dominion, first and foremost. Tilly's was a very noble vision, And any believer must be inspired by his heart and his longing for this new nation 150 years ago. But was Tilly's vision for the fulfillment of Psalm 72 in our era of history, was that a realistic vision? Was it the right vision? Could it ever have been so? It's a good question to ask on this Canada Day weekend. It's a good question to ask 150 years into Canada's history as a nation. And to answer it, of course, we need to pay close attention to the text of Psalm 72 itself. The history of this Psalm, of course, goes back many centuries and even millennia before the year 1867. It goes back to the days of ancient Israel's monarchy, to King David and to King Solomon, his son. The introductory words of our psalm, you'll see them there just above verse 1, tell us that this is a psalm of Solomon. At the end of the psalm, in verse 20, we're told that this psalm concludes the prayers of David, son of Jesse. So together, that tells us that this psalm was either written by Solomon, by by David rather, and was about Solomon, or it was written by Solomon and was just included in the collection of his father's psalms. Either way, it is a psalm that is in the first instance about great King Solomon of Israel. And if you know much of the story of the monarchy in Israel, if you know much of the story of great King Solomon, you know that Solomon was a very great king indeed. Many of the prayers and the components of Psalm 72 were in fact answered at least to some degree in and through Solomon's reign. He was given incredible wisdom to govern God's people and to judge justly, verse 2. The nation of Israel was blessed materially during his reign. Verse 7. He built the Lord's house, the temple as God had promised his father David. The splendor of his kingdom and of his wealth was such that even the queen of Sheba came to behold it. See verse 10, verse 15. In many ways, the prayer of Psalm 72 was fulfilled in the life of Solomon, at least to some extent. But like his father, great King David, Solomon never lived up to all the hopes and all the expectations that were invested in him. He was not the perfect king promised by God's word. He was not the ultimate hope of Israel. And because actually no Old Testament king, no Davidic king ever fulfilled all the hopes and all the promises set out in the Old Testament for the monarchy, well, God's Old Testament people, Israel, continued to wait and continued to look for that perfect, promised king, the king of Psalm 72, to arrive. They continued to wait for their Messiah to come. If you're a parent of young children, then this week has been the week when a certain reality has dawned upon you 10 long weeks of school holiday to fill. If you and your children are going to survive and to stay mentally intact for the next 10 weeks, you need to find ways of filling these two long months with fruitful, cost-efficient educational activities day after day after day. Our great discovery over the last week or so has been our local library where we live, just south of town. I took our kids in the other day, actually, and I thought to myself, this is just great. You can set the kids free to discover and explore. They can look throughout the children's section and gather all the books they want to take. And while they're doing that, down that end of the library, you can do your own browsing and your own reading down at the other end. You can go on doing that until, that is, you hear a display come crashing down or you hear a fist fight break out in the children's section, then it's best to head back over, preferably avoiding eye contact with the librarian on your way down. Anyway, I got about 30 seconds clear on Friday to go and do my own browsing. And I got into the local interest and local history section of the library. And I found all kinds of fascinating documents down there about our our village, about its history, and about its plans for development. And while I was browsing, I came across uh, three or four volumes of detailed plans that a home developer had put together for developing the south end of our village, for building hundreds and hundreds of houses, for developing the kind of waterfront on the river and building more infrastructure and all the rest. It's a fascinating plan. If you live in our village, you either love it or hate it, probably the latter. But no one can deny the ambition And the scope of the project. It's a massive project. The plans were published about a decade ago. And had you read those plans, those many volumes back then, you might have expected an immediate transformation of the village. But actually, over the last 10 years, very little has happened. Very few of those planned homes have actually been built And I'm told that it's probably actually going to take a couple of decades for the plan to be brought to completion. It is a long-term vision and a long-term plan. And it's going to happen in stages. When the Lord Jesus Christ arrived on the scene 2,000 years ago, word began to spread that he was the promised king, the promised Messiah of Israel. And as reports spread that the Messiah had come... Many would have expected him to lead an army and to launch a political movement in Israel, to take the throne of Israel once more and to usher in that promised age of Psalm 72. But his approach, his own timeline, and his own priorities weren't quite what Israel expected when he came His plan was longer term, and it was going to be fulfilled in stages. When Jesus arrived on the scene 2,000 years ago, he announced that the kingdom of God had come near, but he didn't seek political office, and he didn't take up arms. He proclaimed the good news that rebellious men and women, boys and girls, could enter the kingdom of God through repentance and faith on the basis of his own death and resurrection. And as his followers began to sit under his teaching, and as they submitted their lives to him as Lord and as king, they got a taste of what it means to live in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. But during his earthly life, Jesus never pursued political office. He never took up arms, and the priorities and the promises of Psalm 72, as of so many Old Testament promises that envisage the reign and the restoration of God's king, so many of those promises still await their final fulfillment. But before he ascended on high, Jesus promised that he would return again in glory for all to see. And at his return, he would claim his kingdom. His rule and his reign would be made manifest for all to see. It's often said that there is an element of both now and not yet when it comes to the promises of God. In Jesus' first coming, he proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom and he called people to submit to his rule as the promised king. And so there is a present fulfillment of these promises. There's an element of fulfillment already. But there remains a significant element of not yet. There is so much yet to come.
1: We do have to pause right here, but we'll get back to this message called The King's Dominion in just a moment. Our message is part of a larger series called Songs of the Heart, taken from Psalm 72, If you ever miss a broadcast, you can come and listen online. Our website is EncounterTheTruth.org. You can stream the program or download an MP3 for free. You can also stay connected to Jonathan's Teaching if you have the Encounter the Truth app. That's free, and you're going to find that at your app store. You can simply uh, get that app and then listen whenever it fits your schedule. Another way to connect with Jonathan's Teaching is our YouTube channel, where you can not only listen to, but obviously watch Jonathan's Teaching. And if you like and subscribe to the YouTube channel, You'll be updated any time we put some new content on there. So I hope you'll do that. Find Encounter the Truth on YouTube and then like and subscribe. Again, the website for these links and many others, EncounterTheTruth.org. If you joined us a little bit late, we're in the book of Psalms. We're in chapter 72. So grab a Bible and meet us there as we get back to the message. Again, here is Jonathan.
0: Psalm 72 paints a picture for us of the king's reign what it looks like to live under the rule of God's promised king. And it points us forward to the day when his rule will be a physical and a tangible reality. As we dive into this rich psalm together this morning, we observe what the kingdom of Jesus Christ looks like and will look like. And the first thing we observe about the kingdom of Jesus the Messiah is this— His kingdom is a kingdom of blessing. These verses of prayer for the king and this vision for his reign are filled with the hope of rich blessing for his kingdom. And we're told explicitly in the second half of verse 17 that this king's reign is going to bring blessing to the world. All nations will be blessed through him and they will call him blessed. Those words and that promise, which seem to be almost a footnote and a kind of afterthought in the psalm, they're actually highly significant. They pick up a foundational Old Testament promise, an earlier promise, the promise that God made to Abraham right back at the beginning of the nation of Israel, way back in Genesis chapter 12. When God called Abraham, Abram as he was then, and set him apart to be father of his special, his chosen nation, God said this to Abram, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you." As the story of Israel progressed through the Old Testament, the Lord made it clear to his people that they would enjoy this promised blessing, but only so long as they obeyed him and they remained faithful to him and his word. The blessing wasn't theirs unconditionally. It was there, but there was a condition. They would lose the blessing. And in fact, they would face God's judgment, even his curse, if they disobeyed. And we don't need to know too much Old Testament history at all to know that the nation's record of obedience was actually pretty patchy over the years and over the centuries. There were times of deep national disobedience. And so times when the blessing of God was actually removed from the nation. God made it clear that he wanted to bless the nation. He wanted to bless Israel. That was his heart for his people. He intended to just pour out his kindness and his generosity. But it wasn't clear how he was going to do that for a people who fell into disobedience and who forfeited their blessing. But in Psalm 72, here in this psalm, we gain some insight into God's plan for blessing his people and his world. And here's the insight we're given. The king is going to be at the very heart of the plan. Here we have the hope, and the promise that God's king would be the means by which God's blessing would be received and given. Notice again what verse 17 says. All nations will be blessed through him, the king, and they will call him the king blessed. And of course, to some extent, God's blessing did come to Israel and to the nations through Solomon. Under his rule, under his reign, the nation grew, its power was consolidated, its wealth and its influence and its security, all those things increased under Solomon's reign. Foreign rulers came to the court of Solomon and were, well, blessed, really, by receiving his wisdom. For as long as Solomon was faithful to the Lord, both he and the nation enjoyed God's blessing and to some extent were a blessing to the world. But Solomon's heart soon turned away from the Lord and the nation ultimately fell under judgment. The blessing was removed, the kingdom was divided, and ultimately the nation ended up in exile in Babylon, driven from the land. And so throughout Old Testament times, the people of God were really looking for the restoration of God's promised blessing, the blessing to Abraham. They were looking for that perfect king who could bring them into the full experience of God's blessing. But what perhaps they didn't see and they didn't understand right away was that for the nation to know God's blessing and his kindness and his favor, their sin and their guilt had to be dealt with once and for all. They didn't deserve God's blessing. Their history had made that clear. Generation after generation had turned away. And so the first thing that Jesus, the Messiah, the promised king, had to do was to deal with the problem of the people's guilt and their alienation from God. The first thing that he needed to do was to die on the cross, that the curse of the nation might be removed. And only once that curse was lifted could God's people enjoy his blessing. The fulfillment of Psalm 72 in this grand vision really comes in two big stages. The first is at Jesus' first coming when he announced the kingdom and begins to gather a, a people, a following. And when he dealt with the problem of his people's sin, at the cross. But the next stage, the ultimate fulfillment, it is yet to come. When Jesus returns, he will bring in the full experience of the realities promised in Psalm 72. Scripture speaks of a renewed and even a new creation, where Jesus Christ is going to reign as King for all eternity. And Psalm 72 is a picture for us of his kingdom, of his coming reign. This is what it's going to be like when Jesus Christ returns to reign. Just try and picture the scene painted for us here in this psalm. Verse 6, he will be like rain falling on a mown field, like showers watering the earth. We know the beautiful refreshment of light summer rain. We've had downpours this week and even hailstones but the gentle rain of summer on a mown field after a heat wave. Beautiful, life-giving, refreshing. When Jesus returns to this broken and this pain-filled world, he will bring that kind of life-giving refreshment to his people. In his days, prosperity will abound till the moon is no more. No more cycles of boom and bust. We keep hearing dire warnings of a coming real estate or stock market crash. Prosperity never lasts very long in this world, and for many people in many parts of the world, they never experience it. But in the coming days in the eternal kingdom, God's righteous people will know only abundance and nothing else. He will rule from sea to sea, verse 8, and from the river to the ends of the earth. In that new creation, there will be no place for rebellion, no place for the enemies of God. The rule and reign of Jesus will be universal. All nations will be blessed through him, and they will call him blessed. That's the future. That's the fulfillment of the great promises of God. Jesus won for his people the blessings of the Father in his first coming. He he won God's blessing through his death and his resurrection. And in his second coming, he will bring in the full and the physical and the tangible experience of that blessing, even in a new creation.
1: We have to pause right here, but we're going to continue this message, The King's Dominion, next time here on Encounter the Truth. If you ever miss a broadcast, you can always listen online. Just come to our website and you can stream the program or download an MP3. It's EncounterTheTruth.org. Encounter the Truth is listener-supported. It is your generosity that keeps Jonathan's teaching on the station, so thank you for giving to and supporting this ministry. And as you give a gift of any amount this month, we want to send you a book Jonathan has picked out. It's called Worthy, Living in Light of the Gospel. And Jonathan, how is reading this book going to benefit us?
0: Well, I hope it's going to impact your heart and your life. I hope it's going to feed your soul. The purpose of this book is simply to encourage us who know Jesus to live faithfully as his people, to allow the gospel to transform our way of life, and I I just find I need those encouragements, I need those helps, and, and I find it especially helpful if the book is readable and not too long. And this book, which is rich in content and thoughtful, it's written by seasoned theologian Sinclair Ferguson, who's always full of rich insight, but he's made it accessible And it's designed, yes, to feed the mind, but to nourish the soul. And I believe it'll do that for you if you read it, and we'd love to get it to you. Well,
1: a gift of any amount, and we're going to say thank you by sending you a copy of Worthy, Living in Light of the Gospel. You can call, give your gift, and request a copy. Our number is 833-99-TRUTH, or give online at EncounterTheTruth.org. That's 833-998-7884, or EncounterTheTruth.org. You can also write us at Encounter the Truth, 2176, Prince of Wales Drive, Ottawa, Ontario, 2KE0A1. Or in the U.S. at Encounter the Truth, 215 North Arlington Heights Road, number 102, Arlington Heights, Illinois, 60004. For Jonathan Griffiths, I'm Steve Hiller. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time.